If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. As you know, traditionally, the book of Leviticus is known as the book of the law, and its main focus is on holiness and the requirements of man to be set apart uh, from that which is profane or even considered common. But the verbiage that we use for the Old Testament law comes from the word Torah. And the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, and it contains the Jewish law. But the word Torah actually doesn't translate into a legislative type of law like we, we try to communicate it as, but it also actually translates into a guidance or instruction or teaching type of law. It's important to understand that these laws were put into place to guide people into the relationship that God wanted to have with them. Something I realized in reading Leviticus was that because I, I really, I looked at the, the tediousness of these rituals that these people went through, and I just thought, why? Like, we have Jesus to look at what he did for us, and you can say, yeah, that's why I would worship him. That's why I received him as my Lord and Savior. But at this time, I'm like, what revelation did these people have that would cause them to want to jump through such hoops for God? But what I recognized was that the people that he created these laws for were the people that he just came out of miraculously saving in the Exodus, in the book of Exodus. He protected them, he provided for them, and he delivered them. And so they were acting in response to God's salvation. And that was amazing to me. It wasn't that the laws were put there to earn God's salvation, but they were there for people, the right way for redeemed people to respond to the salvation of God after that they, they had experienced. And he gave them the law in order to shape them into a society that would reflect him, that would reflect them as his people, and that would set him apart, set them apart, their character and their values, so that they would be an example of what God's people should look like among the other nations. So the, the Israelites were to be distinctive in the, in the way that they conducted themselves in their moral character and their social justice and their compassion. So it wasn't a set of rules to keep God happy, but it was a way of guiding them into the right kind of life that they were to lead. But so it, it was revelation to me to, to find out that even the Old Testament law was about a relationship with God. And it was founded on God's grace. And it was founded on the redemptive power of God. And motivated by God wanting his people to reflect him so that others would be drawn to him. What we as New Testament believers can glean from um, the truth of the law isn't necessarily that... that uh, we need to jump through hoops for God's approval, and it's not even necessarily that all of, the, all of the applicable parts of the law will be applicable to us, but we can, we can gather some information even as a um, principle, so to speak. Like if you're walking on the street and you hear, you hear freeze, put your hands up, what you're going to do is you're first going to think about who it is that's giving that order. 
You know, sometimes a, a, a little kid that's playing with his toy gun will say something like that. And so if you do recognize that the person who says it has the authority to back what they are saying, the next thing you're going to ask yourself is, is it towards me? Hopefully not at this time, but uh, is, is that command being shouted at me in particular? And if it's not, then even though you recognize that that command has the authority to back it, you don't necessarily take on the responsibility of the compliance of the, of the command. You know, there's an English law that's never been repealed, and it says that every London-licensed cab has to carry a bag of oats and hay in the cab. That seems strange, but when the law was created, the forms of transportation were horse-drawn. And so what the law was created to do was make sure that the cab drivers were taking care of their animals um, as they serviced them in their in their uh, occupation. And even though that there are no roadblocks in London pulling over every cab driver and uh, arresting them for the criminal activity of not carrying oats and hay, it is still enforced in principle. They enforce the principle that if you do have a working animal that services you, you do have to take proper care of it. And so this is how we can look at the law. In Scripture, we see Paul commanding Timothy to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. That's a command that I can seek to obey when I face hardship. But we also see Paul commanding Timothy in a different instance saying, Come before winter, bring my cloak, and especially the parchments. Well, that's a specific command meant for only Timothy for a certain time. Right? My point is this, that we're not required to keep the law, but we can examine why each law is in place, who it was there to benefit, what situation is it promoting or preventing, who does it protect, what values are being upheld by it, and we can let the Holy Spirit give us the opportunity to grasp the Old Testament law that was really just about creating a society to look like God wanted them to look, to creating a society to reflect Him in the way that He wanted to be shown to the world. And we can become the people we're called to be through our recognition of, of the law. Romans 8.4 says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what I don't want you to do is just disregard the book of Leviticus and, and never pick it up because it's not for you, because there are some things that you can learn from it. And a greater understanding of the Levitical law is, just means for you a greater understanding of the thorough work that Jesus did for you. The truth is that through Jesus and the sacrifice he made, you have been redeemed from the law. But you're redeemed because he utterly fulfilled the law. And so understanding the law will give you a greater understanding of, of what he did for you. Okay, for the sake of our acronym, most of you know that in walking through the books of the Bible, the Route 66, we have an acronym. We um, have a memento to take. Pastor Eric always teaches you something, whether it's a verse 
or um, a declaration for your life, something to take home and use in your daily life, an attraction to see, just something he wants to pull from the book that he would like for you to recognize, and then the person of Jesus and how Jesus is reflected in, in uh, the particular book. So for the sake of our acronym today, I'm going to start with our memento. The easiest way for me to explain to somebody how... Um, how we as New Testament believers function or, or how it works as far as where the, the curses and the um, sacrifices and all of that stuff, how Jesus, what the cross did for us, let me just say it like that, is to say this, all of the blessings that you see in the Old Testament that God intended for his people, whether they had to jump through hoops to get them, or live a certain way, all of those made it through the cross where the curses and the sacrifice and the, all of the, the effects of sin stopped at the cross and you got redeemed from all of those things. So you can look back and you can look at the blessings that God intended for you to have and those are yours, but you just get them through a mediator, Jesus instead of having to go through the rituals and things that they did in the Old Testament. Sorry, let me find my place. So chapter 26 is where we find our memento, and chapter 26 contains a lot of these blessings that God wishes for you to have. However, in chapter 26, there are stipulations for eligibility and consequences for not performing adequately to receive these blessings. The beauty of our new covenant relationship with God is that all the stipulations for eligibility, which would be your holiness, and all of the consequences for falling short, which would be your sin and the effects of your sin, are taken care of through Jesus. The tediousness of the rituals and all of the things that they go through come alive when studying it from this side of the cross, recognizing that all of those things were completely fulfilled in Jesus, and we got to walk into it free. So our memento comes from chapter 26, verse 9. And it's this. The, the verse says, For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. So what I want you to take with you this week is this. Repeat after me. I am favored in God's eyes. He makes me fruitful and causes me to increase. Take that with you this week and meditate on it and recognize that even though at one time People had to jump through hoops to get the favor of God. Now it's freely available to you and is available daily. God is so good that we're favored by him simply through his love for us. Your only response is to accept it, to receive it, to accept that you live and walk in his divine favor every day. Accept that you will be fruitful and experience increase in your life simply because he loves you. Okay, now we're going to dig into Leviticus a little bit further for our attraction. And while this may seem a little bit tedious and mundane to you, I just wanted to help you understand, like I said, just the fullness of, of what Christ paid for for us. Our attraction this week in Le the book of Leviticus are the five types of offerings that were offered throughout the book. 
Number one, there is a burnt offering. The burnt offering was the only offering in which the entire sacrifice was consumed on the altar. It consisted of bulls, goats, sheep, or for those who couldn't afford that type of offering, pigeons and turtle doves were acceptable. I think that that's so awesome that even then God made um, a way for those who are less fortunate to be able to participate in the offering that was necessary. This was an offering that was made twice daily, and it made atonement for the the individual bringing the sacrifice. It didn't remove the sin, but it made fellowship with God despite the sin possible. So it basically gave this person the uh, a tunnel through their sin to be able to commune with God regardless of the sin in their life. So it didn't take sin out of the way, but it gave them access to God. And this is foreshadowed in the New Testament in John 1.29 that says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because we know that Jesus eventually did completely take away all of our sin. Number two is the grain offering. And this grain offering was a tribute. It was offered twice daily. And it was made in order to gain or secure divine favor, indicating that the fruits of one's labor should be dedicated to God. A portion of the grain offering was burned at the altar, but the remainder of it was for the priest and his sons. So they would take these ingredients, and they were the finest of ingredients, and they would make like a loaf of bread, basically, with these ingredients. A portion of this bread was burned at the altar, but then the rest of it was the provision for the priest and for his family. And this is what they did to obtain God's favor. In the New Testament, in Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So now we offer, we bring to God our, our sacrifice of praise to him. Number three is the peace offering. The peace offering was designated, I'm sorry, was designed to make amends for wrongdoing and, per, and permits the one who is making the offering to eat the meat of the sacrifice. It's often offered on a joyous occasion and would be brought in conjunction with a vow or a simply as a free will offering of gratitude. This I equated earlier as to bring in a casserole over to the Schwankel's house. It would be something that I would bring as an offering to them, but I would sit and share it with them and enjoy it with them. And it is foreshadowed in the New Testament by a communion meal or what we know as breaking bread together. Number four, the sin offering. The fourth offering is the sin offering. The sin offering's purpose was to remove impurity from the sanctuary. It was offered to end a person's period of uncleanness, whether that uncleanness came from their sin or the uncleanness from um, an affirmity or something like that. It was characterized by the sprinkling of blood from a wide variety of male or female animals. And foreshadowing for the New Testament in Hebrews 9, verses 12 through 14, it says, "...not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood." He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
How much more thoroughly did his blood cleanse you than the blood of goats and, and uh, rams? Number five is the trespass offering. I know this seems tedious, but if you'll just go through and look at these offerings and why they were made and how they were made in detail, you will just fall in love with Jesus all over again because you just see how thoroughly he redeemed you. The trespass offering is made for the violation of the sanctity of the property of God or another person. Um, for example, a false oath, uh, lying or swearing or slander, gossip, those types of things would follow, fall under this category. This offering consisted of a ram or a male lamb, as well as making restitution to those that you offended. It's, it's a charge for a person to walk in forgiveness and responsible actions towards others. So you would not only have to offer your sacrifice in this case, but then you would have to go and repent to the person you offended and make reparations. Like if you stole something, you would have to replace what you stole. If you damaged something that belonged to them, you would have to repair it or replace it. Foreshadowing to the, first, to the New Testament, Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is where we're called to walk in forgiveness with those that, we, that are in our lives. Every day choosing to walk in forgiveness is so important as a believer. And those, that's our attraction, the five offerings that were offered in Leviticus. Wasn't that exciting? <laughs> wow, applause. All right, now we're going to move on to our person of Jesus. We find our person of Jesus in Leviticus 16 at the Day of Atonement. And I actually learned a lot from this, this chapter. Um, the chapter was, this, this portion of scripture is there to instruct a priest in the proper way to atone for people's purification. Because it was the priest's job to bring the sins of his people to the altar and, and provide and gain purification for them. And also how he was to cleanse the tabernacle because that's where God's presence was kept. And he had to go in and cleanse it properly so that they could make the continued presence of God possible. And he had to do everything just right or else he would die. His life was taken from him if he didn't go in according to this law. He had to go in by himself. He couldn't be accompanied by anybody. He couldn't take an assistant or anybody there uh, to help him. And he had to bring a sin offering and a burnt offering with him. Remember, the sin offering removes impurity and the burnt offering makes fellowship with God possible despite sin. And on that day, the priest, he laid aside his priestly garments and his glorious robes and he put on a, a linen tunic. He just took off his glorious things that he was used to wearing as a priest and put on the common type of outfit, much like Jesus who left heaven and came and put on an earth suit to be able to walk here as one of us. He brought two goats with him into the, um, 
to the altar behind the veil. One was for sacrifice and one was for the scapegoat. And I'll explain those a little bit more. The reason that there had to be two is because it was physically impossible to combine all the features that had to be set forth in the sin offering in just one animal. So there had to be two. After he brought the goats in, he was to take burning coals of fire from the altar and with his hands full of incense, enter within the veil to the holiest of all. The cloud of incense would cover the mercy seat. He would then sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Then the goat for the sin offering was killed and blood sprinkled in the same manner on the mercy seat. The slain goat is a type of Christ's death as being expiatory by which the holiness and righteousness of God is expressed in the law has been honored and vindicated. We see in Romans 3 verses 24 through 26 that it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. So the, the slain goat died. His blood was, uh, was shed, but his, the slain goat was taken in to redeem the priest and his family from their sins because for the priest to go further, his his life had to be clean. He couldn't go any further for the, the Israelites until he was atoned for. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Galatians 3, 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So after he took the first goat in and that goat was slain, he brought in the second goat beyond the veil. And, and with the second goat, it's called the scapegoat. And what he did was Aaron, the priest, laid hands on the scapegoat and he transferred all of the sins of his people onto this goat. And then this goat was taken out into the wilderness far, far away by um, a qualified individual and let go, signifying that the sins of the people would never be seen or heard from again. Yeah, it's great. Romans 4.25 says, Who was delivered up for our offenses and raised because of our justification? And 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's so good. The finished work of Jesus. So after um, he brings the second goat in, and the, it's a scapegoat, and he, Christ, and he carries away the sins never to return again, just as Christ did for us, God laid all of our sins and all, on Jesus, and he bore them in his body and took them to the cross, and they died with him. Isaiah 53, 6 says, As we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. The scapegoat was a visible representation to the Israelites that their sins were removed and carried away, carried 
away and he remembers them no more. The glorious thing with our covenant is that ours were once and for all taken care of. They had to come back and do this yearly to atone for the sins of the Israelites. But we, in one sacrifice of Jesus and the and just receiving what he did for us, we got all of our sins completely taken away. And he will remember them no more. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember them no more. Our sinless great high priest, he didn't first have to offer the sacrifice for himself. He didn't have to make a sacrifice for his sins because, as you know, he was sinless. But he became the sacrifice for us. I have a few more scriptures that I want to read before we close. I know this is kind of a heavy type sermon. It's not a shouting type sermon, but it's so good to understand what this covenant means. Hebrews 7, 26 through 28, and you can read along with me, I think. says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Amen. In Hebrews 9, verse 11 through 15 says, But Christ came as our high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant that you're a partaker of by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. And I'll finish with this. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. What Christ did for us was he brought us into a life of favor and blessing. And we don't have to any longer jump through the hoops and go through the rituals, but we get to receive it by faith in Christ Jesus who paid the price for us to have that. And so thank you all for for going through this with me. I just want to pray over you real quick. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you delivered us from, and even more so what you've delivered us into. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you made. We receive it by faith, and we thank God that you loved us enough that you would do this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11 and Wednesday evenings at 7, and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings, and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.